Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod, BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com, and by Ocean State Bird Club. The dog days of summer may be here, but Ocean State Bird Club is beach birding. As proud sponsors of Ray Brown's Talking Birds, Ocean State Bird Club invites all of you to come bird with us. And when you're done with one of our free walks, you can cool off with our newsletter. Look for us on Facebook and at www.oceanstatebirdclub.org. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 741. Well, last week we talked about the discovery in New Zealand of a member of the Cytosidae family. Hope was close on that. A giant parrot in fossil form. But now a member of the Sphiniscidae family has come along to top that find, size-wise at least, as well as in age. It's been announced that a giant penguin, more than five feet tall and weighing more than 170 pounds has been discovered at the Waipara Greens Fossil Site in North Canterbury, New Zealand. The newly found species, known as Crossvalia waiparensis, is from the Paleocene epoch between 56 and 66 million years ago. That is an old penguin. If you'd like to see the fossilized mega-penguin, head for the Canterbury Museum in Christchurch, New Zealand, where it will be on display, along with several other giant species later this year. Uh, Yesterday was National Honeybee Day, when beekeepers, beekeeping clubs, and honeybee enthusiasts from all over the U.S. celebrate honeybees and recognize their contribution to humans' everyday lives and the importance of protecting this critical species. On next week's show, we'll talk about why this year's National Honeybee Day was a bittersweet celebration. And that is the sweet sound of our mystery bird. This is a preview of our mystery bird contest coming along a little bit later on in the show in which we'll give away some beautiful prizes. Our mystery bird is striking in its black and white breeding plumage. It's the largest member of its family in North America and can be found along the coasts in winter northward to southern New England and British Columbia, a distinguishing characteristic when seen in flight from below is its black axillars, or armpits, or wing pits. In breeding plumage, the male has a broad white stripe on either side of the neck running from front to crown to the wings, which are gray to black with white spots. The face, throat, chest, and belly are black and it has black legs. In non-breeding plumage, it's mostly gray-brown above with a gray-brown breast and white belly and dark gray legs. Prizes on our mystery bird contest? The Droll Yankees bottoms-up finch feeder. Not very hospitable for house sparrows and starlings, which have difficulty hanging by their feet, but great for lots of other birds you'd like to attract to your feeders. Bonus prizes, a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. And a 12-ounce bag of delicious, bird-friendly, shade-grown birds and beans coffee. Clues and sound and prizes on our mystery bird. That's our preview of the contest coming along just a little bit later on. Meanwhile, we want to say some huge Talking Birds thank yous to some more Talking Birds listeners who have become Talking Birds ambassadors. 
And they include Barbara Gee from Port Allegheny, Pennsylvania, helping us to spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation. That's in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, not far from Allegheny National Forest and Elk State Forest and Susquehannock State Forest and Moshannon State Forest. A beautiful area, she says when writing in. At the moment, I'm at Cherry Springs State Park, about 40 minutes from home. I'm a volunteer here, and I'm lucky to spend almost every weekend camping at the park. We're famous for having the darkest sky on the East Coast, and we do telescope tours of the sky every weekend in the summer. I'm also the bluebird monitor at the park and get to enjoy watching these lovely birds go from edge or egg to fledge along with some of their friends, tree swallows, chickadees, and wrens. We also have a great blue heron rookery in the park and a large population of woodcocks. We get many visitors from the city, and they are always amazed by these fascinating birds. If you're ever in the area, do come and visit. Well, thank you, Barbara. I just take you up on that, and thank you so much, Barbara, for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. And thank you to Jane Johnston from Bonita Springs, Florida. She wants to share our show, she says, with others. She says, I give presentations in the area here as well as attend events, so I'm happy to pass out cards. Thank you so much, Jane. Talking Birds listeners, please consider joining our Ambassadors family along with Jane and Barbara by allowing us to send you some of our little info cards for you to hand out to friends and neighbors and fellow bird lovers. To join the family, just visit our website. That's TalkingBirds.com. TalkingBirds.com, no G in talking. Click on the contact button at the top and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. And that is it. So we heard from Bonita Springs, Florida, and in just a bit we're going to hear from Jensen Beach, Florida, with a special guest today talking about the perils and pitfalls of released helium-filled Balloons, as they say there at Balloons Blow, there is no such thing as an environmentally friendly released balloon. Also on our show today, we'll get some uh, word about some surprising dietary habits of ruby-throated hummingbirds from the Birdwatchers General Store's Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike Live segment. And up next, a bird with a prolific population and a partial palmation is today's featured feathered friend presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. We've been fortunate lately to see lots of late summer shorebirds on walks around Massachusetts and Rhode Island. They've included but have not been limited to piping plover, black-bellied plover, killdeer, least sandpiper, greater and lesser yellow legs, willet, short-billed dowager, red knot, and sanderling, and the list goes on. But the shorebird we've seen more than any other this summer, not surprisingly since it is an abundant shorebird, is the one some abbreviate as the semi-pal or semi-palm. Palmated means webbed, and our bird has partial webbing between its toes. Its common name is the semi-palmated sandpiper. It's a small shore bird with a short neck and small head, a whitish underbelly, and dark legs. Breeding birds often have rusty coloring mixed in with the mottled gray-brown of the back. 
Those semi-palmated toes are noticeable only on close examination. The semi-palmated sandpiper breeds in open tundra in Arctic regions of Canada and Alaska and is seen over most of the U.S. except for the far west during its migration between its breeding grounds and its wintering areas in the Caribbean and the coasts of South America. Our bird feeds mostly on aquatic invertebrates and in coastal areas by pecking and probing along shorelines and mudflats. And it offers this call. The semi-palmated sandpiper. Calidris pusilla. Today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Well, we saw lots of those semi-palmated sandpipers this uh, past uh, Monday at beautiful South Beach in Chatham. And thank you to Brad Wynn and Brian Harrington for leading us on an amazing shorebird walk there. They're from Manomet, an amazing organization right down the road from our Talking Birds broadcast studio here in the Manomet section of Plymouth. They do amazing work uh, joining with partners all over the world and uh, definitely worth checking out. Lots of bird research up in the Arctic and lots more that they do. Uh, Manomet.org is their website. M-A-N-O-M-E-T Manomet.org Danielle Vosberg is a co-founder of a non-profit called Balloons Blow whose aim is to educate people about the destructive effects that released helium-filled balloons have on animals and people and the environment while striving to inspire and promote an eco-conscious Lifestyle and Danielle joins us on the phone now from Jensen Beach, Florida. Good morning, Danielle. Good morning, Ray. Thanks for having me on. You are welcome. We're we're, we're certainly happy to have you here and tell us, uh, Danielle, why and how balloons <laughs> blow came to be. Um, well, me and my family, uh, my sister and my parents, um, have just enjoyed nature all our lives and, um, you know, just always out doing something in the woods or, like, on the beach. And um, <clears throat> we started finding lots of plastic pollution when we were younger, and, of course, that's, you know, taken a rise. And um, then we started noticing all kinds of balloons, and um, we went online and saw the balloon industry is just pushing you know, there are propaganda saying that balloons are biodegradable and they're okay to release and all that. So <clears throat> we knew that we had to get the truth out there. So we just started balloonsblow.org to just compile all the information in one area mm-hmm. and um, just the impacts all around the world happening to all the animals and <clears throat> where all these balloons are ending up because mm-hmm. people releasing balloons, you know, inland, it can make it out in the ocean or people releasing balloons on the coast, it could, you know, end up way inland so they, they it really can, just depends on the winds they can blow anywhere right yeah yeah well, just picking mm-hmm. up on what you said about this kind of a claim that some balloons what latex balloons are biodegradable but not so right and in fact they're <laughs> is it true they're even maybe worse than other balloons yeah yep i believe they're more deadly because latex balloons are the type most commonly found in the stomachs of dead animals so um, when they burst, they look like colorful foliage on land or jellies in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And, you know, animals eat them and they just get blocked up and then they can't, um, you know, digest the other food or even get any other food in their belly. And then they die a slow, painful death. And mm-hmm. Easy to avoid. <laughs> you mentioned uh, when we talked earlier about this, something I hadn't thought about, and that is the kind of social media Facebook 
Twitter effect that has somehow increased the problem of release balloons? Yeah, it kind of seems like, um, because all of a sudden we noticed more and more balloons. We're like, what the heck's going on? And um, it seemed to correlate with the creation of Facebook and Twitter, Mm -hmm. because people can make Facebook events or Twitter events, whatever, that go viral, and all of a sudden people are releasing balloons all over the world for maybe some little kid who passed away in, like, Ireland or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just, unfortunately really becomes popular and <clears throat> yeah what kind of response are you getting danielle when when you kind of present uh the facts to people do, do they seem sort of blissfully unaware uh before you talk to them about what happens when they release a helium-filled balloon um yeah yeah it's kind of like a half and half thing um some people will be like oh i didn't know that thank you so much for letting me know i'll mm-hmm. you know can find something else to do you know plant a tree blow bubbles um and then other people are just like i've been doing this for 20 years for my kid and i'm not gonna stop and yada yada so Mm -hmm. but even those people i think eventually like right off the bat they might you know take offense to it or whatever Mm -hmm. but after they really think about it and you know think about the facts then they're open for change Mm -hmm. so what about the balloon companies people that make them and sell them are you getting some pushback from them what's happening with that um, yeah, a little bit. We actually got an email from, I think, Pioneer Balloons um, way, way back, probably like six years ago, seven, um, wanting to work together, claiming we had the same values, but um, obviously not, because if they were, you know, educating people of the truth, we wouldn't have had to start Balloons Blow. So, um, yeah, and um, there's also, a lot of people don't know, but um, the balloon industry actually has a lobby, the Balloon Council, a million-dollar lobby, mm-hmm. and um, they fight hard to keep any um, balloon restrictions, you know, off the books, or if a state is trying to, you know, do a complete balloon release ban, they might try to, you know, get them to still allow 10, which in Florida you're still allowed to release nine Mm. um it's crazy but Mm -hmm. the balloon council is very um they're very powerful industry um they're basically you know just as bad as any other environmental polluting industry people Mm -hmm. think they're just a bunch of clowns but they're not um they're money hungry (laughs) Mm -hmm. we stopped a big balloon release um in new jersey and it was going on for quite a few years and um then we stopped it and um Soon after that, we got a little typed note written, and it just said, be careful. And um, mm-hmm. it was just typed. That's all it said. And mm-hmm. it was postmarked from Trenton, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And that's where the Balloon Council's headquarters are. Wow. So <laughs> they're watching us. They know what we're doing. But um, we're just putting the truth out there. And so mm-hmm. well, <laughs> can't fight you. the facts. And, and that's, that's courageous <laughs> a, as well. Beyond the balloons themselves, helium is is a problem too. This is a a, a finite resource in in pretty short mm-hmm. supply these days, right? And it's needed for some pretty yeah. serious work. Yeah, yep. Yeah. It took the Earth billions of years to create, and um, we're just you know blowing through it, blowing through our reserves, like literally. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's needed for um, for cooling MRIs and cryogenics, um, deep sea and space exploration. Um, little preemies need it in the hospitals for their breathing apparatuses and stuff and um yeah once it's gone it's gone and the scientists are like we shouldn't be squandering on balloons because 
Some people think, oh, you can recapture it from the atmosphere, but no, you can't. It comes out of the ground. It's a byproduct of the fracking industry, which we probably really shouldn't be supporting anyway. So, um, yeah. And some people at parties, kids are sucking helium, and a lot of kids are dying from that, too. So, yeah. A lot of great stuff on your website, including ideas of what people can do for alternatives. And you have so many other things, including a wall of fame. You're saluting people and a wall of shame for companies that are involved with this balloon release stuff. And you have some pretty big companies there. Walmart, Disney World, FedEx, Publix Markets, Big Down South, McDonald's. Have you been able to reach out to these companies at all? Yeah, um, we've reached out to some of them. Um, some have made changes. Others haven't. Um, um, for Publix, for example, um, I was telling you the other day um, how they we find their balloons all the time on the beach, and we let them know, and they're like, oh, we'll put a warning on the balloons. We're like, that's not going to make a difference. So now we're finding those balloons that say right on them, oh, this balloon, do not release. It might cause harm to wildlife, but we're finding that those balloons literally on sea turtle nests. Mm-hmm. So, not the kind but, of thing um, that people are heeding when they see that uh, written on a balloon necessarily. No, yeah, half the people don't read the fine print, and actually, all of the metallic foil balloons state right on them: "Do not release outdoors because they may cause power outages." Yeah, the so mylar balloons, right? Yeah. Is that is that right? Mm-hmm. The, yeah, those mylar shiny yeah. mylar yeah. balloons. Yeah, and I think in California, that's like the number one cause of outages is balloons. Hmm. Daniel Vosberg is co-founder of a nonprofit called Balloons Blow, whose aim is to educate people about the destructive effects released helium-filled balloons have on animals and people and the environment. The website is balloonsblow.org. Very definitely worth checking out, balloonsblow.org. Danielle, thank you so much for your great work, and good luck with the cause. Okay, thank you. See ya. Coming up next here on Talking Birds, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. More than 100 million wild animals are killed each year, illegally. Poaching is just one of the risks animals face at our hands. I'm Tom Barry. I'm an actor. I grew up in the beautiful rural countryside of Ohio, where animals roamed freely in the open forests. I have a deep concern to help preserve those open spaces for our wildlife friends, so they can live and thrive like they used to. Destruction of their habitats threaten their very existence. The best way to protect wildlife is to protect the land where they live. The Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust works with private landowners to protect wildlife, to preserve natural habitats, and establish permanent sanctuaries. To learn more or to work with the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, call 800-729-SAVE. That's 800-729-SAVE. Or visit wildlifelandtrust.org. Thank you. Just a reminder that we air our show live on Sunday morning, Eastern Time, uh, 9.30 to 10. And if you want to hear it live and you're not able to do so far or didn't know you could, go to our website, TalkingBirds.com, and you can see how to listen live online and to do things like taking part in our Mystery Bird Contest. That's the sound of our mystery bird striking in its black and white breeding plumage. It's the largest member of its family in North America and can be found along the coasts in winter northward to southern New England and British Columbia. 
A distinguishing characteristic when seen in flight below is those black axillars or wing pits. In breeding plumage, the male has a broad white stripe on either side of the neck running from front of the crown to the wings, which are gray to black with white spots. The face, throat, chest, and belly are black, and it has black legs. In non-breeding plumage, mostly gray-brown above with a gray-brown breast and white belly and dark gray legs. The number to call is 781-837-4900, our mystery bird contest. Please call us as soon as you can so we have enough time for our mystery bird contest. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. Tell us what it is or take a guess. No correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner from those nearly correct answers uh, that we received. 781-837-4900. A big batch of prizes, including the Droll Yankees Bottoms Up Finch Feeder. Perfect for those birds you'd like to see at your feeders. Plus a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. And a 12-ounce bag of delicious, bird-friendly, shade-grown birds and beans coffee. Those are the prizes. The number is 781-837-4900 on our Mystery Bird Contest. Meanwhile, hummingbirds are eating what? We'll find out from Mike O'Connor. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. I'm Bill Kirkpatrick, and I'm calling from Barrington, Rhode Island. What I like about the Talking Birds show is a combination of quirky, casual conversation with scientific information and data. And it's a nice balance. I love Talking Birds. I love talking about the show, and I appreciate this opportunity to share that. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on the Contact button, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the Contact button at TalkingBirds.com. And thanks. When we talk about topics that uh, Mike O'Connor has for us, it often starts with something like, a lady came into the store the other day, <laughs> and I believe that's the case again today, and she didn't even have a complaint, am I right? Yeah, that was the unusual part, yeah. yeah. That, she actually had a question. Yeah. Wow. She walked into a store, and she asked me, she, she was, she, you know, and sometimes they kind of whisper it because they think, you know, they don't want anybody to hear what they're saying, something weird. And they said, in this case, she says, uh, you know, I got a hummingbird that's going to my barbecue and eating the outdoor barbecue grill and eating the ashes from the barbecue grill. And she was like, oh, like, is there something wrong? You know, and she wanted to know. And I told, I told her they love A1 steak sauce. They're just getting oh, the oh, Everybody ashes. loves that. Everybody yeah. likes that. Yeah. No, I called her what I thought, and I said, you know, to back this up, let's just look. I got my iPad. Let's just look what they say online to see if they agree with what I had told her. And uh, and the first thing that came up, and I don't even remember, <laughs> was a column I had written about this a number of years ago. Somebody else had had exactly the same same question. It turns out hummingbirds 
go to they eat ashes now in the wild they'll go to like a fire you know burnt out area after a fire or something eat ashes because hummingbirds have a high as we know they drink a lot of liquid and the high and the liquid passes through them a lot they urinate a lot more than you know except you know most creatures except maybe somebody my age and so they so they pass through so they got to replenish these nutrients and they actually get nutrients from eating sand or ashes or dirt or mineral dust and they poke their little tongue in there and they they actually get calcium in particular the females and during the nesting season the egg producing females do this quite often and they apparently get calcium from from this ash but they also got potassium and, and manganese and i think even some salt and stuff like that mm-hmm. so just fly around it's just to help them with their diet now most people realize that hummingbirds just don't live on sugar water mm-hmm. or, or nectar from the plants they also eat insects they got a lot of People will complain, you know, sugar water is not good for the hummingbirds. You shouldn't be feeding them. And I say, well, they just get that from the flowers or they get that from their feeders, and then they supplement it, and the bulk of their diet is actually insects. But during the certain times of the year, they also go for these, try to get extra minerals from the from. From this lady from the, barbecue, from, from the barbecue, the lady who came into the store, exactly, exactly, came right around That's, to that. Just the way that uh, blue jays. I've had pe- people talk about blue jays eating old flaking paint and house finches getting water from the joints of uh, chimneys. Same thing that adds the calcium into their mm-hmm. diet. So um, you found out about this by looking it up on the internet and finding your column that you had written about <laughs> no, it. I forgot I had written it. <laughs> that is pretty amazing. Hey, hey this guy's pretty good here. Let's yeah, see. Yeah, try to look at this guy. He's like, what? oh, this guy's smart. I don't know who he is. Wow. But it was actually me. Well, this is kind of scary, yeah. You've been writing your column now for how long, Mike? This is almost 20 years. Wow. So that's, uh, how many columns would that be? Do you have any idea? Well, if I do one every two years, no, I do one a week, so... Wow. So it's right about a, right around a thousand. Oh my gosh, that's way more than the talking bird shows. I can tell you that. <laughs> you're way, you're way. Yeah, but yours is ahead. more entertaining. Way ahead of us. Yeah. So anyway, uh, you you can uh, anybody can find your columns on your on your website, right? Yeah, they're archived, archived on a website, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com, and, you know, like a lot of websites, a lot of junk up there, but just, they'll say, Ask the Bird Folks, that's the name of the column, and just click that link, and there's more birding columns than you have time for. There's wow. Like, uh, hundreds and hundreds. I guess so. I don't know. I've got lots of time, so I, I don't know. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. All right, we'll talk next week, Ray. All right, Mike O'Connor there at the legendary... Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, with more insight onto uh, what strange things birds are doing. Not strange, but just kind of surprising. We're back here at the Mystery Bird Contest, and we're trying to identify this uh, mystery bird right here. We hope you'll call us as soon as possible. We are short on time this morning. 781-837-4900 is the number to identify that bird. We have beautiful prizes, three of them. Uh, the Droll Yankees Bottoms Up Finch Feeder from Droll Yankees, makers of the world's best bird feeders. This is a feeder that's not so hospitable to house, house sparrows and starlings, but great for goldfinches, chickadees, woodpeckers, nuthatches, and lots of other birds coming to your feeder. Plus, a download to your iOS device or, if you prefer, online access to the LarkWire app. It's the app that makes learning bird sounds a game plus a 12 ounce bag of delicious bird friendly shade grown birds and beans 
coffee. Quickly, the clues again are mystery birds striking in its black and white breeding plumage, largest member of its family in North America, found along coasts in winter northward to southern New England and British Columbia. Distinguishing characteristic when seen in flight from below is its black axillars or armpits, or more accurately, I guess, wing pits. In breeding plumage, the male has a broad white stripe on either side of the neck running from front to crown to the wings, which are gray with black and white spots, or black with white spots. And here's the kind of maybe the biggest clue. The face, throat, chest, and belly are black, and it has black legs. What is it? 781-837-4900 is the number, and I think it's our old friend Barbara in Hanover, <laughs> Massachusetts. Oh, oh, gee. I left the radio on. Oh, my goodness. Oh, dear. We oh, no. We can't have that. You're oh. going... You're caught in the echo chamber, Barbara. I know, and I'm okay. so sorry. I, 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 but I wanted that feeder. I, yeah. I don't have that one. Uh-huh. So I'm taking a chance, mm-hmm. and I'm going to use the Latin name, a Ooh. pandian hallu, haliatus. Oh, I don't think you're allowed <laughs> to say that on this kind of a show, but uh, what would be the common name? Because you might have uh, one on us there. I don't think there's an osprey, but I want that feeder. Oh, an osprey, but you want the feeder is the point of the whole thing here, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. Very funny. That would seem to indicate that was not the answer we were looking for. I could but, be wrong, but... Well, yeah. maybe nobody else gets it, so maybe I could win. That could be the case, because I think we're just about out of time. Barbara, okay. thank you so much for calling. And before we forget, let's identify the bird. It's the black-bellied plover, the black-bellied plover. We're out of time for today's show. Next week, the amazing songwriter and avid birder, Stephanie Seymour, will be here. We'll talk about her CD, There Are Birds. Thanks for being with us. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod, BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com, and by Ocean State Bird Club. The dog days of summer may be here, but Ocean State Bird Club is beach birding. As proud sponsors of Ray Brown's Talkin' Birds, Ocean State Bird Club invites all of you to come bird with us. And when you're done with one of our free walks, you can cool off with our newsletter. Look for us on Facebook and at www.OceanStateBirdClub.org.